Father, as we gaze upon the, the picture of that nativity, it is true. Your love is all we see. Your amazing, incredible grace toward humanity, sinful, rebellious, rejecting, profane, and into that world for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Our Father, we have been brought into an important awareness this morning on this Christmas Sunday morning of the immensity of your love for us. And I pray, Father, that we would not squander what you have offered. The vast majority of this world but that we would fully embrace your offer of grace. And then, Lord, transfer that grace to those who come into our lives. For your great name's sake, I pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you have been wondering like me... <clears throat> What is the explanation for the way that our global leaders, particularly leaders of the West, almost with a religious fervor, uh, get their, put their power and their energy and our finances behind climate change, environmental issues, reckless, risky immigration, um, embracing uh, sexual outcasts and identity insanity, the censoring of of those who, uh, censoring of those who would, would esteem righteousness. What in the world is going on around us? It seems to me that the explanation is that the leaders of the Western world are seeking to redeem themselves. It seems to me that there is a an eschatological, infinite weight of shame and guilt over the exploitation of people and nations and races. And so you have these, this, this mounting conviction that we need to do something about this and we need to redeem ourselves. And perhaps if we knock down some statues and rewrite history, we can pretend that somehow humanity is righteous or has some 
light shining from within. Today we're looking at the third in our series on terms of Christmas recall, and today we're looking at the recall on moralism. Uh, moralism is quite simply uh, described, uh, at least in a post-Christian moralism perspective, as the product trying to fix itself. Uh, humanity seeking to, to somehow save itself. Can, can, a, can a human save itself? Can, can we redeem ourselves? Can mankind fix its own broken condition? That, that's the state of our world. And that in part explains the policies and ideology of the Western leadership. It's an attempt by humans to atone. The product is trying to fix itself. Post-Christian moralism is trying to find light from within the human condition. We're going to look at the, uh, the third aspect of Christ as portrayed in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there or your devices, whatever. Let's go to John chapter 1. We'll look at verses 4 through 13. What we have on our hands is an infinite, global-sized, collective mass of guilt and shame on a massive global scale. And world governments are attempting to redeem themselves, to somehow assuage their guilt of eschatological proportions. It is the religion of the natural man. And uh, John deals with it here in John chapter 1, start at verse 4. In him, referring to the Son of God, the Logos, the Word of God that became flesh, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of God. So we have on our hands a world that is seeking to somehow bring some uh, sense of, of closure to its guilt and shame through its own Attempted righteous actions. That's what we call moralism. And um, the greater concern, of course, because we would expect that of a world lost and unaware of a living God, but the greater concern is what I have italicized as called Christian moralism. And you'll understand when I give an explanation as to why it's so dangerous. Christian moralism is taking the moral principles of Scripture and trying to please God by living them out, not from our relationship with Christ, but from sole effort of the flesh. This is the great danger 
in the evangelical church or the great danger in the church at all. The great danger of having the word of God, having the principles of God, perhaps growing up in church and understanding the, the, the description of righteousness from the scriptures and now seeking to live that out in your own effort. Not, from the, not upon the basis of a relationship with Christ, but on your own effort. So that you seek to please God on the basis of works, on the basis of your strength, your resolve to live a principled, somewhat biblical life. It tells us in the text that a person must be born of God. And we'll talk about what that looks like. So you can see the danger of this idea of the product trying to fix itself. Trying with your own strength, whether you don't know Christ or you've heard of Christ, trying to work on it from your own strength and trying to, to reform your life or redeem yourself before God. Can a man redeem himself? What's the measure of that? So the defective diagnosis, the, the gospel, the good news from the scriptures is simply this. The transformative repair must come from, the, from outside of oneself, from the maker. Our, our change that occurs in our life cannot come from the human condition. It must come from a completely outside of ourselves transformation through Christ Jesus. The correction requirement is a welcome Jesus. That's where, where John goes with this. But to those who received him, to those who welcomed him. So there are three things in this section that we read here this morning that, that get in the way uh, and, and add to the weight of our guilt. And there's only one solution. We'll talk about that at the end. But at this point, uh, I want to look at the three things here that, that are, that are key, key sections for us to note. In verse 4, it says, In him was life, that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The human condition is broken because we have intentionally preferred not to understand and remain in the dark about the maker of life. The embrace of a godless evolutionary model of origin has left us on our own to explain God, explain life, and the meaning of life. And that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that, that God has given them over to a depraved mind. Because if we replace the living God, the We've already discovered through him all things were made. If we replace the living God with idols and neither thank him or nor glorify him, he gives us over to a depraved mind. And the world is given over. That explains the godless hearts of our world that gravitate to, to dark antisocial behavior that plunders and exploits people and, and explains in part why the Western world has risen up now to somehow redeem itself with flawed human attempts. Note here in the text there is good news. There is a source of life that is explained to us. The Son of God is the source of life and counteractive to the deadness of sin. Notice here, the word is life in himself, has life in himself. John 5, 26. 
Christ has not derived life from anything. In him, you see here in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word has life in himself. Christ has not derived life from anything. All that is alive derives its life from him, because in him is life. This is not hard for us to understand when we think about the, the counteractive to deadness is life. The essential excellency of the word is life. That's the presentation of John's gospel. And only because there is life in him is there life at all. That's, that's the proposition he is making for us here. The counteractive, in other words, to deadness, and this is, a, this is practical, everyday common wisdom. If I were to say to you, what is the counteractive to deadness? You would say, life, obviously. The counteractive, to, act, the counteractive to, to physical deadness, to spiritual deadness, is life. And the good news of John's gospel is that life comes from Christ. There is no other source. So in our world that is seeking to somehow bring life to itself, to, to, to enliven uh, uh, the, the culture, uh, to, to raise up those who have who've gone to spiritual deadness, to, to try and bring some sort of life. It's, it's futile unless one knows that the only source of life is Christ. And Christ alone gifts life to people. That's the gospel. There's no other source. And we see in the text here that, that the... Humanity has intentionally chosen not to understand this. Intentionally. And to intentionally choose to not understand that the only source of life is Jesus. And that he is, in his life, is the light that chases away the darkness. We have the explanation for why humans are wicked and hateful and hurtful and harmful and exploitive and and, and race, racially bigoted, and all that, 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 that the Western leaders are attempting to correct. It's human nature to feel the sense of shame and guilt for how we have treated one another because of our darkness, the darkness of the deepest parts of our soul. And... Um, you'll note that John connects the idea of life and light. The environment whereby life flourishes is light. I'm not much of a gardener there, but there, I'm sure there's a lot of gardeners in here, and you know that there's, there's something that living plants definitely need. Now, one is water, but the other is light. You put a four-by-eight sheet of plywood on your backyard and just leave it there in the grass for a while, and you lift that thing up, and you find underneath it thriving grass. Not in the least. It's all yellow and dying. I mean, most of you don't even know that. You would say, that's stupid to have done that. Oh, sorry. I, I do stupid things. It dies. There's this connection between light and life that is... And, and relativists which we discussed last week, try somehow to grab light from within themselves and seek to, to generate some sort of life from that light that is, that is human-sourced, and it doesn't work. 
creating their own light by saying, well, this is what works for me. This, this choice of life works for me. And, but it doesn't bring light. It doesn't bring life. Uh, the choice of our world to, to create its own sexual ethics d- does not create life, does not create light. It, it eventually moves to doom and gloom and death. Because light can only come from the source of life, which is Jesus Christ himself. But this has great implications for how we live. There is meaning to life because of the light that has come. And the logos here is pointed out as the only possible hope for defeating darkness. Christ comes into our life and and the light of Christ, the light of God bursts forth in our life. And and we have uh, descriptions in the scriptures that I want to share with you for a moment. Uh, For instance, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 For God who said, and I want you to notice, by the way, the creation language here. This is is the verse that describes our salvation. For God who said, let light shine in the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts. Notice, the light has come to us from God, not from ourselves. He has made the light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Notice the salvation language which mirrors the creation of the universe. God said, let there be light, and there was light. There's no evolutionary model here. We don't evolve into salvation. God calls us into salvation. Once we were lost, and then we are saved. There's no evolutionary process by which we are somehow in some sort of transitional state of salvation. That's not how it works. You are either saved or you are not. The people who were sitting in darkness, Matthew 4, 16, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, notice, and to those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, notice the wording here, upon them a light dawned. Now, the Gospel writer is, of course, quoting from Isaiah and making the point that light does not come from within human beings. It comes upon them by the creative salvation work of Jesus Christ. You see, moralism seeks to find light from within the broken, darkened human condition. The idea is if we can just be nicer... You hear on the radio right now uh, all the songs, all the Christmas songs that mostly have no meaning at all are absurd songs instead of the rich songs we had today. You may be listening to Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie's rendition of this great song sung by all kinds of recording artists, We Are the World. You know that one? And the lyrics go on, we are the ones that make a brighter day. We'll make a better day, just you and me. Ooh, la, la. (laughs) We can pull this all together with a, a great big group hug. Meanwhile, we've had 95 or 96 murders in Toronto this year. So much for a group hug from the inside of the goodness of humanity. This is the good news. As uh, John writes in John 8, 12, 
when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that has a look to it in our lives when we come to know Christ. You see, in the, uh, at the end of verse 5, there's a, there's a verb used there that's, uh, the word understood is, is like a, it's a double entendre. It can go in two directions. It can mean um, comprehend or it can mean overpower. Catalambano. It can go one way or the other. And I think John intentionally placed it there because it, it, it illustrates two theological truths in one verse. And the darkness did not comprehend, did not understand, but the darkness also, we're taught there, does not overpower the light. Once Christ comes into your life, the good news is this, that sin is increasingly being chased away. The Logos, by the way, made himself, not his parents, in Matthew 1.21, Luke 2.11 says, give him the name Jesus. Jesus, the, the living God named himself, named the incarnation Jesus. He will come and save his people from sins. Because the mark of the people of Jesus Christ is being saved from sinning and the wrath that is to come. The fundamental battle line in all of our lives when we come to know Christ, the fundamental battle line for Christians is the battle with sin. And the good news of the gospel is that this battle will be won in your life because darkness cannot overpower the light. And when there are people that are claiming to know Christ or claiming to have come into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and claiming they can't stop sinning, uh, the truth of the gospel is not being reflected in their lives. It is not true. The darkness overcomes. When people are somehow capitulating to this, this saucy new evangelicalism that says, I, I can live this rebellious life and still be called a Christian because that's the way God made me. It's not the way God made you at all. In fact, Christ is remaking you by his life and his light that now overpowers the darkness in your life so that you will increasingly grow less and less sinful. Uh, that's what John says in 1 John 3, 6 and makes very, very clear. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Why? Because the truth of the gospel is that darkness can't overpower the light in your life. It has to burst forth. It has to be changed. Transformation will continue to take place. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged here this morning and say, are we talking about sinlessness no, we're not talking about sinlessness. The same John who wrote this said that anyone who says they'd have no sin is, is a liar and not telling the truth. The truth is not in them. It doesn't mean we're sinless. It means we sin less and less and less because the light is overpowering the darkness. Light always chases darkness away. When the sun comes up in the morning, it chases away the darkness and it moves through to high noon. And we are living in Christ at the high noon of our lives where Christ's light is shining in us. And it should, that glory of Christ should pop out in our lives. This is the glorious promise of the gospel that the darkness cannot overcome. The whole point of life and light and light that brings life is 
free, to free us from the darkness that has held us as slaves to our broken passions for our whole life. That's why Paul could say, that's what some of you were. But now you've come into the light of Christ. When the Logos took on flesh, there was a light show on purpose. The, 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 the visuals of that early Christmas day were uh, to light up the sky with the glory of the presence of God. The angels shone in glory of God. The stars shone in the night sky. Why? Because it was, it was advertising that the, the life of God, the light of God had by his grace and his love, and love is all we see, has come and has, has demonstrated to us that God loves us and cares for us. And has come. That's why I, I'm excited about anybody whose hydrometer is running like crazy at Christmas time. It should be. Our houses should be demonstrating the great light of the gospel of Christ. Your house should look like a Griswold house. <laughs> I did it again this year. Too many strings in a row. And I've blown a fuse out of my bottom. It's just driving me crazy. I want more lights. I don't have enough sockets. Because... Because the light of Christ has shone. The human condition is broken, secondly, because we have been so busy making ourselves, we've not recognized the one who made us. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world of people created through the word of God, the logos of God, do not recognize their creator. Did not and do not. Why? Why are people, why are your neighbors not recognizing Christ? Why are your co-workers, why are people in your family not recognizing Christ? The truth of the matter, as people continue to embrace the darkness of life without Christ, they increasingly are growing less and less like Christ. Christians are to be growing more and more like Christ. People who don't know Christ are growing less and less like Christ. And they don't recognize Christ. The reason people around you don't know right from wrong is they, the image of God has become so marred in them, so buried in them, that they no longer recognize the, the light and life of Christ. They no longer recognize the likeness of Jesus Christ. And you have this state of affairs in our world. I mean... This, this was immersed, this was embedded in, a, in, the, in the culture of Israel, a theocentric culture, all right? This is a culture that was looking for Messiah, and they didn't recognize him. That's the, the gross state of the human heart in darkness. That's the truth of being alienated from God by choices to, to refuse him and to rebel against him. So Horrible is it, so dark is it, that you can't recognize Jesus Christ if he walked down the aisle here this morning. So busy are people making themselves into an image that's less and less Christ-like, deciding on their own morals, trying to redeem themselves, falling more and more short of the glory of God, that they no longer recognize the truth or anything that is like Christ at all. So long, for decades, have they been dismissing uh, God, generations of people dismissing God uh, because of science and psychology, self-makers, 
that they no longer recognize him in this pagan cosmology that we live in. And so Jesus Christ ultimately is viewed as limiting the full expression of self-realization. And the culture we live in is all about silencing the lamb. Those who walk at night, John says, verse 11 and 10, those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. And John 3, 19, John makes the point that that's the way they prefer it. So far have people strayed. That not only do they not recognize him, but look at verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The human condition is broken because we are so busy chasing after material things that we have no room to welcome spiritual things and have not received Christ. He came, literally, it says here, he came to his own property. The, the world that he created, the universe that he created, he came to his own, his own property. He, he came to his own house. It's like you walking up to your own house and you're, 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 the door is shut. Nobody recognizes you in the house and they don't let you in. Jesus Christ came to his own house. And of course, in, in, in Middle Eastern uh, first century, the, the idea of, of, of failed hospitality was among the greatest of all sins. And, and so here is Israel looking for Messiah and, and refusing him and shutting the door and no room for him in the end. The world is not neutral. The world is, is not curious. The world is not open. The world is openly hostile toward the things of God and closed toward Christ. I'm not telling you all something you don't know. You experience this every day in your lives. You know what I'm talking about. As Gary Brug states in his commentary, the very medicine that can cure the human condition is, is rejected. Busy selling themselves to other owners... And, and it's into this reality, a reality of people who intentionally choose not to understand about the light, uh, uh, people who in, in, in intentionally choose to not recognize their maker, uh, um, a culture of people who intentionally refuse to welcome their, their loving God. It's, it's into this culture that the love of God is displayed through the giving of Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world, that world, the world we've just described, the world of your rebellious heart before you came to know Christ, that world, it's into that world that the amazing grace and love of God was manifest in his willingness to take on flesh and come and live among us and give himself for us that we might have salvation. That's the message of the gospel. And the world continues to be defensive toward any notion that, that the living God should have anything to say about the, the power and capacity and ideology of a flawed world, and failed world, or, or that God should have any right to say anything about human behavior that should be sinfully acceptable, or, or that God has any right to, to, to lay claim over science and to, and to reestablish a reminder to all of us that science, the purpose of science is limited to the observation of revelation. It is not revelation itself. Science is to tell us what God has done and to show us the glories of God. 
It is not revelation itself. It does not define reality itself. It's into this world that God has poured his love. It's into this world that says God has no right to talk about moral failure because that's just the way God made people. Are you serious? All of a sudden, people who are morally failing get all religious on us and start talking about this is the way God made me. What God? What God are you even referring to? Because you don't live for God. You don't know this God. What, what revelation of God are you talking about? Could you tell me about the God you're talking about who made you like this? Because I don't know that God. Sin made you like that, not God. Rebellion toward God made you like that, not God. And God wants to change you. God wants to rescue you from this. But they don't want to receive him. No, I don't want to welcome Jesus into my life. Or that God should have anything to say about the power, religious power brokers of the day who claim that all religions lead to God anyway. I hope you notice here that... Um, we are about to embark upon a very inclusive, exclusive statement. Yet to all, that's inclusive. Yet to all who received him, that's exclusive. The sin that crushes and kills people is not just a series of bad choices. It is a settled state of being that unless uprooted by the light of Jesus Christ cannot be redeemed. No matter how many people you hug this Christmas. But this is the great news. Moralism fails from its fallen incapacities. But this is the good news, beloved. Yet. <laughs> that word yet. Verse 12. Notice it. Yet or but. To all who received him. To all who welcomed him. The vast majority, the house is closed. There's no room. But to those who threw open the doors and welcomed him. Because they understood the value of life and light. Because they recognized the image of God in the likeness of Christ. And because they are willing to receive him. The light has dawned. The logos of God has come. The life that gives light to every man was coming into the world. There's only one hope, and it can't be by becoming nicer. It's you must be born again. As Jesus sat with the Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, who came to him by night. Why did he come to him by night? Because his deeds were evil. And under cover of darkness, he came to Jesus. And asked him about salvation. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You cannot reform yourself, Nicodemus. There's nothing good inside of you that can, can somehow come out. There's no little bit of light hiding in there that we just need to find. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that born again mean? It's, it's the same thing as this, receiving God, believing in his name. What does it look like? No one can please God by their own energy or effort of the flesh. But to those who believed in his name, what is that, his name? It's his title, the Son of God, Savior of the world, Redeemer. To those who believe in his name, his title, his character, as the one who made you and loves you and is perfectly sinless. His very person, the claims that he made of himself. God, very God, 
incarnate. That's what it means to believe in his name. Over in chapter 2, verses 23 and 25, there were some who stated they believed him, but Jesus didn't receive them. And, and this is my, my challenge for you here this morning, that you might be living in some sort of trust in moralism, that, that you've come under the, the sound of the gospel, you understand, you've read the scriptures, you were raised in a Christian home, you've been in church your whole life, and you know, the, you know some of the good things that you should be doing uh, that, that you understand from the scriptures, but they don't come from a heart that has been transformed by the living God. That's moralism, and it's not salvation. It is attempting to please God by your own works, by your own flesh, this is what salvation is. And Jesus pointed out here, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. It's the same thing he's just said. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. They were not interested in Jesus. They were interested in his miracles. They were believing in his miracles, but not entrusting their lives to the living Christ. The issue of salvation is not the rewards that we get from salvation. The issue of salvation is the entirely different state of being. We become invited into the family of God. We become children of God, those who, who receive him and believe in his name. That's an intimacy Heaven is the perk of salvation, but being brought into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby he is my love, he is my life, he is my light, he is my passion, he is my day-to-day -day reality, he is my friend, he is my God, that's why he saved us. And that's what he's talking about here. And Jesus does not receive those. He will not entrust himself to those who have not really trusted in him. And so believing in his name and receiving, what does receiving look like? Donald Carson has, has given a four-point list that is as good as any I've ever seen. What does actually receiving Jesus look like? Just so we're not confused here today about what born again really means. Receiving Jesus, welcoming Jesus, means allegiance to his word. It means trusting Christ completely. It means acknowledging his claims. And it means confessing him gladly and gratefully in the marketplace of your life. It means reflecting in your life the glory of Christ that comes, bursts forth from you so that people see the likeness of Jesus Christ in you. And you know what? We increasingly look alien to the world around us. We continue to look more and more crazy the more and more we look like Christ because the world is so far away from the look of Christ that we look so dramatically different. That's what born again is. As I described here in, a, in the first service, there was a, a young couple who just were engaged sitting right down here uh, right beside me, and I said, listen, when you are first engaged, you can't stop talking about the other person to everybody who comes into the orb of your life. You just can't stop talking about how much you love this person and how much this person means to you and all that goes on with that. Listen, brothers and sisters, when we came to know Jesus Christ, when he, uh, uh, when he by his grace and mercy said, let light shine in your heart, you became engaged to Jesus and engaged people to Jesus act differently 
You see, the marriage is yet to come. We, we, the marriage is, is when Christ comes to get us. But right now, we're engaged to Jesus. That means a whole different thing when we're walking around in the streets and in our homes and in our workplaces. And, and we talk about Jesus. That's what it means to, to the, those who welcome him. Not born of natural descent. It's good that your mom and dad went to church, but it won't save you. nor of a human decision. You might think that you can generate some sort of walk with God on your own, but we were so far steeped in darkness that unless Jesus Christ by a divine act said, let light shine in your life, you couldn't possibly come to know him. Or by a husband's will, the head of the house can't choose what happens, but born of God. And what a glorious message this is. Jesus will entrust himself to those who truly trust in him. And, and I just want to say as we close this morning that um, I'm assuming that for the vast majority of you here this morning, this was just a, a hooray pep, pep rally and we got to know all once, once again the truth of what we believe and who Jesus is and and, and at Christmas, we're our hearts are just lifted to know this is what we have. But there might be someone here this morning who does not know Christ, who's been playing, playing the game, who's been coming to church, kind of trying to live a moral life, but never have you ever received Christ or really believed in his name. You've just been hanging around church. Or maybe this is the first time you've been to church in a long time. Because it's Christmas Sunday. And this is the first time you've really heard this message and understood that you need to welcome Jesus Christ into your life. I'm just urging you this morning to not leave this place without knowing for certain that you've been born again. That you have embraced the point of Christmas. That Jesus came to rescue you from darkness that you might live in the light of his life and that he might transform you now from the inside because he moves into the inside and increasingly changes you into the image of Christ Jesus where you increasingly sin less. That can be yours today by welcoming Christ into your life. We'll sing a song in a few moments, a great song that tells us this truth all over again. And then we will have some pastors down here at the front. We, will ha we have uh, Pastor Calvin's going to be, I think, at the, at the east door. There's a room right there. If you want to go and talk to somebody quietly, there'll be some people there for you. And share with you how you can be certain that you are born again and know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. The good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because he came as a babe in a manger with a mission to bring life and light to a world that rejected. Lord, we're still rejecting you and you still pour out your grace to us. How many demonstrations of your grace and love do we have to see? Do we have to hear with our ears until we finally say, oh Lord, count me in. For God so loved the world and loves me enough to tell me the truth and welcomes me into his family. Oh Lord. 
how we praise and thank you for the truth of Christmas. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.